listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Ah, it's winter. This is not winter music. It's more like island music. Cork and Carrie and Kona Brewing want to send you to Hawaii. Yeah, you. And it's real easy to enter right now. Get to Cork and Carry at the park or Cork and Carry Beverly and simply register for the drawing on March 15th and enjoy a $5 draft of Kona. No purchase necessary. You got to be 21 and over to participate. 33rd in Princeton is the place to be with Cork and Carry at the park. And never forget the original Cork and Carry in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. See more at corkandcarry.com. You're listening to Socks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. I'm not disappointed in any way in the Morell walk-off where the Cubs stun the White Sox in the last game that they play them because deep down, I know as a White Sox fan that we got one over on Cubs fans because we hurt them so much over the last couple of days, Ed, because we got swept by Milwaukee and then still split with them. That, that was advantage Brewers. I look at it that way. And, and I also enjoyed Luis Robert Jr. Uh, hitting a bomb and then turning around and mocking the guys that were flipping him off behind him. That, that's what my takeaway is from the whole week of White Sox baseball. That's what brought a smile to my face. And Luis Robert Jr. says he's not a leader when, when he does something like that. That's leadership right there. It is. Hitting a bomb and then showing up a bunch of people that are flicking you off. That shows how how it's done right there, my friend. I'm telling you, I, I love the guy. I do. Hang your hat on the fact that you have a legit star and he backs it up and where most people can get rattled by something like that. He just sat there and said, oh, you're going to laugh at my swing beforehand? Watch this. Watch me. You know what he's doing now? He's doing the stuff that we saw in the minors back when we believed in the rebuild. Remember when we were like, oh, pray for the league and it's going to be incredible when we get all these guys here and look at this guy when he swings and the way the ball flies off the bat and just the calmness and the coolness of it all. And like you, you saw other guys doing that too, right? Like Aloy would be like, I'm going out and hitting two home runs today because I'm the best. And then he would go and hit two home runs. Oh, yeah. There was there swagger on this team right? once upon a time. It, it disappeared sometime around the time that Tony La Russa took all the fun out of the clubhouse. But the thing is, Luis Robert Jr. isn't doing that at a minor league level. He's doing that amongst the best of the best at the majors. And that's the thing that I'm taking right now in the back half of the season, putting in my back pocket and saying, at least we've got him. His jersey should be the number one seller. He should be the biggest thing on the south side. You can you cannot find. I don't think you can find fans that are intelligent or reasonable that would tell you he's the problem on the team. Right? Like you could find a fan who doesn't like any one of the other players on this team. He's the one person that you'd have a hard argument saying he's not a star and he's not a plus and looking at his contract and his control and his abilities and some leadership stuff that I'm starting to see that that's your most protected guy. That's the franchise right there. That's what you build around. There is something to be said about having a vocal leader that's going to sit there and rah-rah the guys or sit there and bring guys out of funks or 
you know, keep the peace. But there's also something to be said about just having a contagious attitude. And that's what I'm hoping catches on and, and comes back around is that you have this guy that sits there and does that. And I think T.A. was that guy for a bit, too. But that man's life has kind of beaten him down a little bit from it. You can see it in his body language and how he's playing on the field and everything. Life didn't beat him down. He created the life that beat him down. Well, it doesn't matter if it's self-inflicted or not, and I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and piss on the guy, basically, because I don't think I. I don't think that's where we want the show to go today. No, since Scott no, Merkin's I don't. Here. I don't want to do that. Scott Merkin's here. This whole episode brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, Thirty Third in Princeton. They are our proud sponsors. They bring you every episode. They've got a great bar. They're indoor outdoor seating. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. Bring the whole family over there. I'm going to be there on Monday with my little guy. He loves going there. He wants his food at the Cork. He's He's going into the third grade and he's telling me we're going to Cork beforehand, right, Dad? I'm like, you're darn right we are. 33rd in Princeton, see more at CorkandCarry.com. But as you're saying, I don't want to be negative. I want to focus on the positives. Well, and, and, and I don't, I just don't want to, it's not a show about picking on Tim Anderson. It's a show about saying, though, that that even getting a guy like T.A. back to the point where he really believes and has and has that, that feeling that we had in 2020, right? Not, not not during their swoon when they kind of clinched a playoff spot and then disappeared for a month, but the the feeling that they had where we're here, we're, we're maybe a little bit early, but we are going to rock the hell out of you. And, you know, the league, like you said, everybody weep for the rest of the major leagues because here come these young White Sox. If that can be rediscovered even in the back half of the season, that's great. And you're right, as far as hurting the Cubs goes, you're not going to be able to do something necessarily directly against other teams. You're not going to come in and play spoiler in the traditional sense if you're the White Sox because you're just not that good right now. But, yeah, getting swept by the Brewers definitely helped the North Side yeah. <laughs> to not get in the playoffs. Speaking of North Side, uh, now you get all the comparisons from a lot of the writers, you know, some of which are Cub fans that are covering the White Sox. Some are White Sox fans covering the Cubs. Some like there's been this intermix between all of them over the last couple of weeks because Cubs and Sox have been playing each other. And then you have the whole Reinstorf thing and the problems in the White Sox clubhouse, which gets every writer out there wanting to cover that. It's it's good material. We're starting to get a lot of ideas from a lot of columnists as to how to fix things. And you you brought it up to me before we started that Paul Sullivan was trying to compare the Cubs of a couple years ago and the White Sox of right now. Yeah, Paul Sullivan from the Tribune was basically saying, hey, look, White Sox fans, look look where the Cubs were in 2021 in the City Series. They were in a, a terrible August. Uh, they, were having a, they were having an awful, awful season. They had just broken up the core that, that had taken them to the World Series. That's a little bit different because the White Sox never made it to the World Series with the core that they, they were built on. But I think the parallel he's trying to say is there's a little hope here because here, here the Cubs are two years later without going through a massive rebuild, without tanking for years on end to try and build up draft picks, and they're in a playoff hunt anyway. You know, they're not leading their division, but they're in the playoff hunt. And the White Sox could be that with the right moves – now, some of that is just a little bit of luck, like the Cubs took a flyer on Cody Bellinger returning to form and just needing to get out of the Dodgers in order to come back to, if not his MVP level, but to, to being uh, a star baseball player. They also signed Dansby Swanson, who I wanted us to go out and get. Well, and, and they make they make shrewd moves right. like that, like Dansby Swanson. And also, I think there's something to be said about the Cubs not having maybe waited a year too long on a guy. To, to either pick him up or drop him. Oh, you're saying there's accountability? I'm saying there's accountability. I'm saying Jed Hoyer 
<laughs> maybe accountable to somebody. Um, and, and if you don't believe there's accountability, there's a shirt that says accountability zero that uh, socksinthebasement.com has available for you. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, doesn't that seem a little pie in the sky that the Cubs, that the Sox can can turn this around and, and either meet or exceed what the Cubs are doing in 23? No, I don't think it's pie in the sky as long as you have somebody else making the decision and his name is not Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn is really bad at one-year flyers, okay? There's a reason why right field hasn't been solved for years. There's a reason why second base hasn't been solved for years. He's thrown bad money at one-year deals and prove-it things, and let's see if we can get this guy reborn or, or refitted or, you know, whatever he does. He's made these deals, and they don't work out. The only thing he's ever been good at He won executive of the year, not because of what he was doing at the major league level. He won it because he traded away talented players who should bring back high-end prospects, and he traded them for high-end prospects that were on list. And so on paper, he looked good. That didn't work out, though, hence the last couple of years. So I think if there was a revote on that award, he would not get it. But that's that's his accomplishment. He will always be good at trading away really good baseball players for prospects that are unproven but are on list. That's his accomplishment. That's not how the Cubs fix this. The Cubs fix this by being able to professionally scout guys that were already ready to play in the majors and say, we can fix this guy. Here's the hitch in this giddy up. This is the guy that we're going to bring in here, and this is how we're going to fix it and turn it around. I'm telling you right now, a competent general manager could fix this team quickly, but we don't have that yet. on the phone line right now the Sox nerd Dave Marin he puts all those interesting tidbits up on the scoreboard and then he joins us once a week to give us some more interesting tidbits about the White Sox history and maybe stuff that's going on currently what's up nerd does it make us feel any better that Tuesday's win assured the White Sox the lead in the all-time series with the Cubs through 2024 it's true the Sox emerged from the Wrigley Field Series 74 and 68 that's plus six with four games next season against the Cubs. So as Carl Stackler said in Caddyshack, we've got that going for us, which is nice. Some more nuggets. The pinky injury to Luis Robert last week put Eloy Jimenez back in the third spot in the order where he had thrived. Eloy responded to the return by going three for five with a homer in the first game of the Milwaukee series. Eloy ended the homestand with a career slash line of 349, 436, and 538 in 29 games in the three-hole. I don't think we'll see much of Eloy hitting ahead of Robert, but boy, those numbers sure are tempting. Speaking of Luis Robert Jr., he is really endearing himself to Sox fans with his performance against the Cubs. The All-Star emerged from the series at Wrigley Field hitting 380 against the Cubs, which is a Sox record for players with at least 25 at-bats in the rivalry. And while Robert arguably has already turned in the greatest season ever by a Sox center fielder, Andy is on pace to hit 43 homers. A spectacular September could make his season one of the best by a Sox player ever. The last healthy September Robert had came in 2021, where he slashed 343, 379, and 611 with seven homers. Speaking of players to watch, I think Jesse Schultz has earned our attention. I told you I was going to be all over the place. The right-hander has pitched pretty well as a fifth starter. With any support, he could have a much better record because in his five losses this season, Schultz has yielded just five earned runs. 
And on an unrelated note, Chris, it was great to see Bill Melton at the ballpark on Sunday. Bill was the Sox first legit power hitter of my lifetime and led the AL in home runs in 1971, despite playing in Comiskey Park, which was a pitcher's paradise. I know number 14 is retired for the great Paul Canerco, but every time I see it at the park, I do think of Belton, Bill, Melton. My zinger, the player who had the best August batting average is currently on the White Sox roster. It's Trace Thompson. With players getting at least 35 plate appearances, Thompson has the highest August batting average at 469, which he put together in 2015. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you ever wanted to know about the dreaded Cubs, the three-hole, Jesse Schulten, and of course, Trace Thompson. We're going to go straight from the Sox nerd into Scott Merkin here joining us on Sox in the Basement. But before I do that, a reminder, actually two reminders. First off, Sox in the Basement is going to be moving to a flexible schedule. We've been kind of tinkering with how you listen to the show and how we can serve you better. So release dates may be on Wednesday, Saturday, like they're going to be next week. But if we need to move up a day because something happens We can always move it back up to Tuesday, Friday. The good news is we're on demand. So whenever you're ready to listen, we're available anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. The other reminder is if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, no high pressure sales, nobody's hanging out in your house. Instead, you visit the big, beautiful showroom at Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest as your first stop, and it will likely be your last. Because you're going to get to see everything right there. Every etching, every option, everything full size. You're going to have an owner in the showroom. And then when you make the deal, they're going to come out with their own workers, not farmed out workers, but actual window and door superstore of Oak Forest employees that have been doing this thing forever and know how to do it right. And there's going to be an owner on site. They have been doing this for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985 with all major brands custom made for you. No stock items. That way it's a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. Stop in and see them today and see more at windowdooroakforest.com. Joining me on the phone line right now, a good friend of ours. He's on the show, uh, and I always appreciate whenever he comes on. Uh, he covers the White Sox and has been doing it for so long for MLB.com, and uh, I love getting his insight on what's going on around the team as he is basically embedded with them like a guy in the middle of a war. And that's what the season's basically <laughs> been this year, right, Scott Merkin? How are you? Good. I don't know if I'd go the war reference, but it's been uh, it's been a you know, we were talking in the game last night. I was talking to uh, Paul Sullivan and a couple other guys who have done this for a long time. And, and you know, I said last year was the worst season I had to cover of the 21, and I guess you can say 22, the one year I did it for uh, chicagosports.com in 2000, uh, of the 21 I covered. And then one of the other writers said, what about this year? I said, yeah, this year's worse. <laughs> so it's, uh, and, and last year I put it, worse because they were supposed to win. They were coming off a division title and they were just the definition of mediocrity the whole year, right? They were never below five under, never above five under five over stayed in a mediocre division until the end when Cleveland proved to be a really good team and finished September with 21 and eight, something like that. And thinking of that, by the way, I saw that was like the Dodgers are 14 and one in August. So beware of the Dodgers as the postseason comes around again. But 
this year is even worse. I mean, this year, first of all, you have the horrible news, and which then became the most uplifting story of the year. And Liam Hendricks, you know, announces on January 8th via his Instagram that he's battling non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's how it begins. And then, you know, once April comes around and they're 7 and 21, they were kept alive by a really bad division that Minnesota is kind of kicking up to take control, sort of, maybe. Um, but, you know, eventually it just, just you know, they, the Sox realized it wasn't happening and they made the move. So long answer short, yeah, I think these last two have just been, just because of all the Sox fans went through and the way they embraced that rebuild. I still remember Yohan Moncada coming up and following a pitch off and getting a standing ovation when he first came up. So the, the expectations and the, the thoughts about, you know, this is going to be our time and, and it just has not even come close to happening. They've won two playoff games the whole time of this following this rebuild. Well, one of the things that I've appreciated, and we've talked about it here on this show, is that you've started to ask some questions that make people uncomfortable. And I, and I applaud you for it. Because, you know, you're working for MLB.com, but when you ask Rick Hahn a couple of weeks ago for a message to the fans, and he basically kind of sidestepped you, and you didn't let him off the hook, you just rephrased it and asked it a second time. And you, you've been you've been out there asking things like, what's the plan? What happens next? You know, and and nobody wants to talk about it right now, right? And and I I, I applaud you for going and asking those things because I understand how difficult it is and how uncomfortable it may be having to talk with, uh, you know, an interview subject that you pass in the halls or that you've had a relationship with and talked to for years and years and years. Who's giving you interview bits? What's it like right now trying to get answers to the questions you have about maybe the future of the front office, what they're going to do the rest of the year with the team, why guys uh, that probably aren't going to be on the team next year are still playing regularly instead of the guys that are down the minors. What's the reaction like and how hard is it right now to cover this team? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the relationship thing is a little overstated with all due respect. You know, I've seen everything from, you know, they don't want to lose access to they're afraid they're not going to get the free popcorn in the press box. Free popcorn in the press box isn't, isn't that great to begin with. So, you know, we're, we're not losing anything there if they start if they start down that. But, you know, there's a respect on both sides. You know, the team cannot just suddenly cut off reporters' access. It doesn't work that way. We belong to the BBWAA. You know, it doesn't work. And plus, Rick is very smart guy. You, you can debate whatever you want, and, I, and, I, and he's spoken about how he understands this, that you can say he's done a good job, bad job, somewhere in between. But he also understands the job we have to do. And I, I think there's a way to go about it. I don't think, yeah, I think I, I get some social media messages or just people from just friends who have me and say, why don't you ask him, why is, why are you so bad? Why do you, well, you can't just do that, right? That doesn't make any sense. You can't blurt that out. But there's ways to ask that. And I did think that, you know, knowing what was going on and knowing that this may be another rebuild, which would be kind of the third in his tenure, if you count when they traded Jake Peavy and got Avisel Garcia and kind of, had an idea of that. That didn't last very long. That lasted about one season, I think. But certainly the second full rebuild, I think fans have a right to understand what's going on. I also understand their point that maybe in, you know, August 1st, July 31st, it's it's not the time to talk about it, but it'll be revisited again, you know, late September. It'll be revisited again early October to see what direction they're going. And they, they eventually do have to say something. It's sort of like, as we're taping this, what's going on with the Tim Anderson situation, you know, that he was suspended six games. They're still waiting on the appeal to be finalized, but he has not spoken. And Pedro Grafold really has not spoken. He did not talk to the two reporters who are out there directly about, he declined, not declined comment, but sort of talked around it. So it'd be interesting to hear, you know, what, what went down during that night, right? What made Tim think he needed to do that? And I'm, I'm not 
chastising him. I'm just genuinely curious and how he feels about the whole situation. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing is the guardians came right out and started talking about it. that's the thing. I mean, you see Ramirez immediately talk, you see Francona immediately talk and we're still sitting around here waiting for them to talk. And I would imagine that's gotta, that's gotta be frustrating for you. And, and they said he's going to talk and I understand that he's going to talk. And I I've known Tim since the day he was drafted pretty much. And I think Tim's a good dude. And I think he's a good player. I think he's having a, a real rough season. That's you don't need me to say that you can, Look at the numbers and watch. Although he played some good defense in the Cubs last night in the Cubs game, um, but he, I, I think he's going to bounce back too. It's not like he's thirty-seven or thirty-nine, like that's considered old. But in baseball vernacular, where he's had like eighteen seasons under his belt, so I think he'll be he'll bounce back next year. I think he's played hurt a lot of this year, but at the same time, I like to just know because he's a really good talker. He's provided some very good insight over the years, both in groups and specifically one-on-one to me during our interviews. So I just like to hear from him and hear what it's about. So that's the bottom line there. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's an interesting situation because you don't want to, I mean, Elvis Andrews has been one of their best producers over the last, I guess, two weeks, three weeks, great clubhouse guy. But yeah, I mean, do they have any intentions moving forward with a guy like Lenny and Sosa, you know, and if you do, and I get that he's been, you know, not to not to talk around that he's been really bad during the time he's been with the White Sox. I think he's in the majors. He's been tremendous with Charlotte, but I think he's like 13 for 103 in his career with the White Sox. Some, some people will argue that's not much of a sample size, but it is more than a, a nominal sample size. Some people will rightfully argue that he's been used kind of sporadically, so it's hard to get a you know a flow out of it. But you know, if you do, if you are thinking about him in any kind of significant role next year, then he probably should be playing right now, right? But you know, that's, it's just all interesting being taken into consideration. You know, I assume that at some point in the next, what, what are we now, you know, mid-August, in the next two weeks at the latest by September 1st, when, when you get to add two players, one having to be a pitcher, Corey Lee will be here. Because, again, if you're thinking of him, even if you're not thinking of him as your starter next year, but thinking of him as your significant backup, you got to see what he can do, right? You don't want to go into the, into the 24 season when you may or may not be trying to contend and not know what he has. So there's some questions to be answered here in the last couple weeks. You know, it's interesting because the two games against the Cubs, I don't want to admit, I mean, the schedule is there. It's a great schedule. But the two games against the Cubs were kind of the high watermark. And the rest of the year now, you got good division games. You have some, you know, second division teams. Oakland's coming in. You have some playoff teams that are coming in that need wins like Seattle. And the Sox are fighting for as many wins as they can get. But I think, I think the Cubs game, the Cubs two, two games were less really like playoff intensity type things. Although we'll see how it comes down. But I do think as much as Pedro talks about winning, and of course you go out there to win. There's no reason to go play if you're not going to win, right? That's the object of every game. I do get that Pedro wants to win. I do get the White Sox wants to win. But you need to see what you have for the future. You need to see, you know, Oscar Colas is playing out there. Just another example of how does he fit in. You see some of these young relievers who have done a really nice job since being up. Lane Ramsey, Gregory Santos has done a, a solid job against as a closer, although he had a really rough night on Wednesday against the Cubs, Declan Cronin. So you're getting some look, but I guess maybe this says something about what they think about the guys who aside from Corey Lee, who was acquired in the organization who aren't up here yet. Either they're not ready or they're not firmly in the plans for 24 yet. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes. 
in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So let's talk about that Cubs series because I I saw something in that series that made me feel good. And in a season where so many things make me feel angry or upset or disappointed or sad or whatever, like there was something that made me feel good. And it was the Luis Robert moment. And I want to explain to you why. And then I got a question for you. When he's getting heckled by the guys behind him, the Cubs fans behind him, and he hits the home run and looks back at him. And then there's that iconic shot that everybody's taking a screenshot of as he goes back and they're flipping him off and he's giving them the shush with his finger over his lips. And he said this past week, I'm not a leader. But what he reminds me of is what I've heard Ozzie Gian talk about when he references Paul Canerco as a leader. He's just out there doing his job day in, day out and performing at a high level. And when challenged right there, he responded. He doesn't need to stand in the locker room on the top of a box and say, let's go, guys, let's get some hits. He doesn't need to do that. But could he be a lead from example guy? Because right now it seems like the White Sox are trying to tell all the fan base in every interview, Andrew Vaughn's the leader of this team. And it's it's almost like it's being pushed. And maybe he is a leader. But what do you see in terms of leadership for the rest of this year and beyond, who are they going to be looking to in that dugout? Because you're around it all the time. So I, I'd like to hear from you. Like, who do you see as a potential leader in that clubhouse? I don't know if they know who the leaders are. Because I don't know if, know if they know for sure who's all going to be here for 24. But Robert is a leader. And I wrote this the other night, sort of like Canerco is, and definitely like what Abreu is. I think Canerco is a little more vocal. But Abreu, what was his biggest leadership skill? Is That guy played every day. That guy played, he ran full force in a hundred Dozier going for a foul ball. He was back in the game Saturday night. You know, that would have knocked most of us out for two months if, if we even got up from it and he was available and he was really good, you know, for all but one year when he, and even that year he was decent when he had some injuries down the stretch that cost him the last month of the year. And that's what Robert wants to do. Robert has said this probably six times. He's not, not a huge fan of doing constant interviews. He actually kind of joked about it when we went up to him post game uh, Tuesday night saying, no, no, no. And, you know, no, he talked pregame that day, but he said this in every interview that I can remember his goal this year was to play games. He, he had a goal. He told us 150 or more. And, you know, he had never been above 98 until this season, although he did play 56 and 60 in the uh, pandemic short in the season. But that's important when he's out there, kind of two things, when he's out there every day and then when he's not expanding the zone, he's probably as good as any player in the game because his talent is that great. You know, Aloy Jimenez said years ago, he's going to be, you know, I think he said the Hispanic Mike Trout or the next Mike Trout. But, you know, he, he has that. I haven't watched Mike Trout a ton in person aside from maybe a little bit on TV. But Robert really can do it all. He has her power. 
Get it for average. He's probably going to be a 30 base uh, stealer before the, his career is done in a single season. Gold glove defense center fielder, very underrated arm. So what more do you need from him? You know, and he showed a little bit of leadership in the off season, even before this began, but he worked a lot with Colas. He kind of mentored Colas. So, you know, cause they lived very near each other in Florida. So I, it's unfair to say Vaughn's a leader or, you know, uh, Kopech's a leader or Robert's a leader. I think they need guys who can produce and need guys who will be there every day and kind of set the tone for the other players on the team. Scott Merkin and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have coming up this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. One of the things that got repeated a couple times over the last couple of weeks, and I, I, I was curious of your take on it, was the idea that there was a issue with the culture in the clubhouse, but then they made some trades and they had a meeting and they think they have it fixed. And one of the comments I made on this show was, are you trying to tell me that a bunch of pitchers were the issue with the culture in the clubhouse? Do you really think that all the problems are solved right now, Merck, or are these things that they're still going to have to work out? I wrote about this in my newsletter on Tuesday because I talked to Freddie Garcia on Friday, and Freddie talked about you know, how that 05 team was unbelievable, how they were always together. They went to dinner. They sat around in the clubhouse after the game and talked baseball. And, and you know, another couple players had told me that during that season, like, they'd have team outings. And there was one time where one of the guys had his family with him, and he said, and I th- one of the guys on the team called and said, hey, you got to be down here. We're leaving in 10 minutes. And he said, well, my family's here. I can't make it. He goes, no, no, you'll see your family after dinner. We're all going. So it was that kind of, now again, that's kind of rare, but I do think a good clubhouse can help a team that's dealing with struggles and dealing, you know, kind of with things on the edge. Of course, winning clears everything, right? I mean, winning is the cure all to, you know, I I don't think, let's say, you know, uh, David Ross made a few rough moves last night. I don't remember off the top of my head if there were question moves one way or the other, but when Morrell hit the free run homer, everything was forgiven. And then nothing, you know, and that's an example. I'm not calling Ross out, but same thing if the Sox were 10, 15 over right now, right? People would not take, you know, one game at a time and say, well, this is horribly mismanaged or this is horribly handled. So I think it wasn't a good fit in that clubhouse. I think there were some, you know, I, I think Liam said it well that they had people with like kind of different views and no one really kind of conceded. No one kind of really bent on how they felt. And they made some changes and they made some changes partially, you know, because guys they traded were guys who were, you know, contracts expiring. I'm not saying, you know, Lucas Giolito is great in there. Obviously Ronaldo Lopez is a good guy, Jake Berger, you know, I mean, everyone was added something, but I think it just wasn't, ultimately it was not a good mix. And I think that goes back to the problem with the White Sox in the front office is that from what I've seen, aside from that 05 run to about 08, you know, and I didn't cover them before 03, and I know they had some good teams, some good younger teams in the 90s and that kind of thing, but they're very adept at, at, at identifying talent. They can put a talented guy in the lineup and in the clubhouse. They've not been great at building teams. You know, and you've got to build a team. You can spend all the money in the world, but you but you, but you, you got to, I mean, look at the Mets. I mean, people praise Steve Cohn, rightfully so, because he wasn't afraid to go out and spend, but what if they, they didn't even get out of the first round of the playoffs last year, right? I mean... And this year they will not be going to the playoffs. So money is not always the answer. You got to be able to build a team, and that does not mean putting an all-star at every spot. Now it's worked for the Dodgers, although they've won one title, right? I mean that's the ultimate goal. I, I get it that 
if you're a fan and you hear me say that, you're going to be like, listen, we'll take the Dodgers situation over what the White Sox have been the last 10, 10 years. We'll go to the playoffs every year and go to the LCS and take our chances to win. That's fine. But ultimately, you got to win a title. That's the, that's the key selling point. And that's why that's kind of my gripe on, you know, so many rebuilds is it's not like you get partial credit. It's not like if your farm system moves up from 29th to 14th, you get three extra wins next year. You know, I mean, the ultimate goal is to win a title. And there's only one title every year and it's tough to do. It's tough to do. We've seen, I mean, the Astros have been phenomenal. What, I mean, aside from their scandal, they went through, I mean, they've been to what six straight LCSs, I believe, you know, and, and won a couple world series. I mean, People talked about that Cubs run, that they were going to be dominating the National League for years to come. And, you know, LCS in 15, World Series title in 16, LCS in 17. But it's tough to do. It's tough to win one title, let alone multiple. You look at, you know, the last repeat in the American League is the Yankees, right? 98, 99, 2000. The last National League repeat is the Big Red Machine, if you don't count the Giants, three titles in five years. So you've got to build teams that fit. Now, again, you've got to have talent. You can have the nicest guy in the world, a great fit in the clubhouse, and if he's hitting 180 with you know five RBIs and a 210 on base percentage, it's not going to do you any good. But sometimes you got to take a step back and say, well, this guy is great, but maybe this guy will fit better what we have to do. And, and they've done that at some times, but it just consistently has not been has not happened for that team. I love the comment of like, does it really matter if your farm system goes up just a little bit? Does that really help you in the long run? Because you know, Rick Hahn keeps telling everybody, well, you know, I won that executive of the year. Well, you got that because of the potential. It didn't actually work out. So I hate when he says that. That's one of the problems for the Sox is that the Sox this year have had some key injuries, have had some underperformance, and their farm system, while having some good young players that are a few years away, Noah Schultz looks like, again, very early in his career, going to be a, a top-notch pitcher. Colson Montgomery, talked to him a number of times, really entertaining kid and can play and has an attitude like I'm better than you, which is what you need to do to be really good in the major league. You know, you got to believe that, but there are no guys. There aren't a lot of guys who are right there, ready to step up and make big jumps to help the team right now. So that's the problem. So you need a farm system. I'm not saying that what Rick did was wrong. You know, I mean, he, he made, he did a very good job. He did an excellent job in kind of replenishing by moving the, was it six pitchers and Jake Berger, you know, at the deadline. And now they have to, you know, not every guy that's highly touted steps up and not every guy that's like Declan Cronin, a 36 round pick misses the majors. So you never know. It's a very big crapshoot, but I'm just saying that it's, it's cool to see the Sox fans excited again about the farm system and the young players, but we've been here before and it netted two playoff wins out of the whole thing. Scott Merkin covers the White Sox for MLB.com. He's nice enough to jump on Sox in the basement and Merck, uh, you're welcome back anytime. I, I really appreciate you joining us. Okay, Chris, I agree. We didn't, even need, we didn't even need to talk about Michigan football, and that's coming up maybe in the next podcast, though. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.